Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm a CEO, president, and founder of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. A 17-time serial entrepreneur with several unicorns under the belt. I was on the original management team at Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 billion, and also Eva.ai, your virtual assistant, one of the first generative AI companies that I co-founded with Dr. David Yang. We believe at GST that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities are not. And with that, I've got an incredible guest today. I'd like to bring him on. Alex is a uh, serial entrepreneur. He's located in Utah. He's going from barista to velvet. And I want to talk about what that journey is like. Hey, Alex, how are you doing today? Amazing, Gary. Uh, I got the, like I said, um, the uh, amazing hibiscus after coffee. You got to go into tea, man. This stuff's great for the heart. And uh, yeah, I'm here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And you need heart health when you're a founder um, (laughs) because everything's attacking. So you went to University of Utah. You studied computer science. So, you know, and then... What was the journey like? You graduated in 2020, so not that long ago. How did you go from the barista, then you were at Mocha Motive, um, you know, you did some uh, production. How did you get to where you are? And and I see that there's some uh, ventures that like Maverick Ventures and Lias, uh, laissez-faire uh, fund. How did you go from being a barista in a very short period of time going into being a fund manager? <laughs> yeah, well, look, I've always been a nerd. I've also always been kind of one of those ADD renaissance kids. Uh, couldn't always figure out exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I know I wanted to do everything. Um, so, yeah, my, the only real job I ever had, real job meaning working for somebody else, I was at Starbucks. Um, so I worked at Starbucks for about two years, I think like 14 years old to 16 years old or something like that. And um you know, I got really passionate about meeting people there. Turns out you meet a lot of people selling coffee, had a ton of fun with it. Didn't like working for somebody though. Um, and I was always passionate about investing. My dad really kind of turned me on to the investment world at a young age. He was screaming at the computer screen when I was five years old. Uh, he built one of the, uh, and I was like, oh, that's, that's super cool. Um, he built um, what was sort of like the first ATS for hedge funds, electronic trading systems for large fund managers that they eventually sold to Citigroup. And uh, so it's kind of always around that. And with my barista money, I'd put all my paychecks into investing. Um, I was a gambler, um, like many 15 year olds. And uh, I kept putting, uh, you know, I was trading options. I got a Robinhood account as one of those early Wall Street bets guys. I was actually on a, a podcast with the Wall Street Journal talking about the whole culture as it evolved on Wall Street bets, you know, into like the GameStop moment and all that. Um, so I was doing a lot of that. I kept turning a thousand into like a hundred thousand and back again, um, like a rookie. And eventually I got, you know, I started to learn uh, from my mistakes. Um, I started a video company to kind of fuel that same addiction. Um, I was, you know, did commercial video all around, would shoot weddings, company, corporate stuff. Um, How was that, Alex? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I loved it. I've, I've actually always been passionate about film. I still have all my film gear. I get to do a little marketing stuff here now at Velvet, you know, towards video. So, yeah, I'm kind of a creative type. Um, I'm a musician. I love film. I love the arts. Um, what kind of music do you play, Alex? Sorry, what's that? What, what kind of music do you play? Um, I play a little bit of everything, but I probably am categorized as a jazz guitarist. But I can play classic rock. I love all the classics. 
Um, I love to shred. I did the Jimi Hendrix Star Spangled Banner at a at an LA family office party. I know you've uh, attended some of those, and uh, I was in the hills, and I opened for Macy Gray. I had the whole like Jimi Hendrix jacket and everything. Um, so oh, much that's fun. Great. That must have been fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast. It was a big, uh, I guess, like watershed moment for me too. It really kind of I, I broke into the industry in a lot of weird ways, um, as uh, I guess we're about to discuss. Um, but yeah, I mean, so after the the video company, you know, I, I was still trading. I got into Bitcoin really early. I'm one of those 2014 Bitcoin guys. Really lucky on that. And I, I actually traded it through most of the cycles. Managed to not lose it um, along the way. Oh, and, that's great! Uh, Congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I've lost plenty, but I, I did not definitely didn't blow it all. That's for sure. Um, it's a long journey, of course. Um, and then, um, yeah, in uh, college, like I said, yeah, I went to school for computer science. I started a coffee truck in college, too. Um, it was the transition from barista to owning my own business. Um, and yeah, it was called Mocha Motive, like you mentioned. Uh, we had like 100 customers a day. I got it at the University of Utah campus, really lobbied for it as like a student run business. And they let me up. And we killed it. I had like, I think, seven employees over the lifetime of the business and just lucky I sold right before the pandemic. I sold it to somebody who picked it up, rebranded it. Um, and then I used that to buy some dips, honestly, um, you know, when all the when everything came crashing down. And uh, during the nights, I was going to school for computer science um, in the mornings I was trading and I was tired of staring at the screen 24 seven. I was trading futures, I was trading Bitcoin. Um, I was up till like 4 a.m. all the time trading because um, I was just really passionate about it. It's fun for me. And uh, I started to look for um, ways to automate that. So I kind of bridged what I was learning in school um, and what I was learning outside of school, honestly, too, to automate my trading. So I started building like full automation across execution and risk management um, and backtesting over and over. Um, so to build a quant fund, I, I didn't actually mean to even build a quant fund. I just wanted something to trade for me, make money in my sleep. And... Um, yeah, I, I built a series of strategies that were doing really, really well. It took me a long time, about a year of testing stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. I came out with a strategy that was basically like a Bitcoin volatility reduction strategy. And it was compounding about 80% a year. Um, well, that's so great. Now, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was kind of how I broke into the private markets. Um, I, My friends and family are like, yo, this is great. Um, we want to invest. Um, so I learned how to spin up a fund and I got all that set up and, um, it's done really well. I launched it at a really good time too. Bitcoin is about 3,800 uh, per coin when I launched it in 2019 and the fund's done almost 13 X like as of today. Um, so around that same time in college, I meet my buddy, Andrew, um, the other smartest guy I met in college, uh, he was in my day traders club. So I was running this kind of like club to teach people about trading and maybe meet peers. Um, until him, I really hadn't met any peers, so it felt like I was teaching a class. And uh, he'll describe it that way, too. And Andrew's like, oh, I want to talk to that guy because um, he knows what he's talking about. And Andrew had built this T-shirt company and um, done amazing. I think he'd made like 100 grand by the time he was 17 or something. And uh, mm -hmm. he was uh, um, he had this idea that he pitched me. He's like, dude, there's a bunch of guys like you I know who kill it. They make triple-digit returns, but they're not from Wall Street. They're not accessible. We don't know them. So he pitched me the idea of essentially Tinder for hedge funds. And that was the seed idea for what became Velvet, which I would say is entirely different than that now. Um, but yeah, that was about almost four years ago now. And so we did the whole startup house thing together. I came on as a CTO 
um, and I built the first product, um, which was sort of like, you could imagine it, this online portal where, you know, serious investors could connect with private funds. Um, and that expanded a ton over time. I, I could go into the whole velvet story, but I don't want to rant or happy to, if you'd like me to. No, I mean, the thing is, so, you, you know, you're going down through it. So what did you see, Alex, going from, you know, going from university, starting uh, MOCA. So if you're, if there, you know, and there are a lot of folks all over the world, um, entrepreneurs watching my show, what kind of words of wisdom would you give them? What was the most important thing that for you helped you be able to have success? So if you look at what was that one thing that you had that you, that other entrepreneurs need to have to be successful? Well, entrepreneurs are crazy, right? And most of them share a common thread that like, hey, I want to do something. I want to do something that's mine that I can build. And they're creative like that. Um, the thing that got me through everything is being able to get beat the crap out of 100,000 times. Um, I would say resilience is like the number one thing. So the coffee truck, like I bought it in California. Um, we use credit cards to buy it. It was like 7,000 bucks. Uh, we, we built it all out ourselves, you know, hammer and nail for like a month over the summer, 100 degree weather in Utah. Um, when I drove it home from California, it took us 25 hours to get home. It's not a 25 mm. hours ride. Oh my God, <laughs> what happened? Uh, you know, we I started it on fire. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I uh, a mechanic checked it out in LA for us, or it was around, it wasn't LA, sorry, it was Northern California. And um, he didn't check the oil. So I'm in the Nevada desert at 5 a.m. We started the drive at, at night and uh, the gas, I had to leave the door open because um, the gas fumes were so bad and it, it, the muffler was blown out. So when I stepped on the gas, it sounded like gunshots sometimes, it backfired. It's like a 1974 coffee truck. Um, yeah. So, and I barely could drive manual at the time too. Like I had just been starting to learn manual and I'm driving it through the Sierra Nevadas and the winds. Oh my God. Wow. Uh, that was a good experience. Yeah, we're like a couple, I think 18 year old kids and we're scared to death, man. Um, I was scared, you know, uh, my headlights are going out and then, yeah, my buddy Josh is driving behind me, uh, who's actually now our CTO at, at Velvet, um, which is amazing. So he started the coffee truck with me and he's driving behind me and he's, we're on the phone and he sees some sparks. Um, and I thought, you know, he's like, I think you're dragging something. And then we realized it wasn't dragging something, but those sparks were coming out of the exhaust and it turned into like this 4th of July shower going oh all up. Yeah, like a flamethrower. And um, so immediately turned the engine off. It smelled like something was dying inside. And True. just by chance, we were right by an exit on the freeway. So I roll into this abandoned gas station exit. We open up the hood and it's glowing red. The engine block is glowing red. Oh and we're just like, um, but yeah, we're like, oh, we're screwed. It's over. Um, we just blew seven grand and we blew up our truck on the way home. Um, we slept for like an hour, put oil in it in the morning and somehow it was okay. It's fired back up. We drove it home. We were very cautious about it overheating for the rest of the trip. We had ice bags tied to the front of the radiator and stuff. Oh Imagine hot Nevada summer, right? Um, and that was why we were driving it too. Anyway. But eventually made it home, man. And then we pimped it out and, you know, we, we had some mild success. You know, it was it was fun. And, and it only happened because we were willing to wake up at 5 a.m. in the freezing cold and serve people coffee. Um, you know, the pipes would freeze all the time. Like everything could have gone wrong. And that's how business is. Everything goes wrong. But you figure it out anyway. 
And if you just keep figuring things out, stuff sticks and you eventually win in that way. Um, and it's not really about winning anyway. It's, a, it's about having fun, creating value. Um, being able to create is like the greatest gift you can give anybody. So, you know, like I'm, I'm so grateful to all of our investors who have believed in me. Um, and uh, I will continue to be resilient. No, that's so good. That's and so you're going down through the resilience is important. Obviously, when you had your truck, it looked like it was on fire. That must have been, uh, you had to have a little resilience there for that thing, because I'm not sure you want to sit in a truck that's sparking. Like, in fact, I don't know how you didn't melt the engine, to be honest with you. If it's that hot. Cast iron. It's like a Corvette engine in those old things. So I guess lucky me. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So you did that. And then as you went down through it, so your journey, so resilience is important. How did you go down through as you as you were taking this journey and as you're moving through the companies? What were the kind of lessons that you, so you went down through and you did your uh, MOCA, then you went to real video productions. Now that was uh, for corporations and individuals, right? To be able to commercial videos. So yeah. how did you get started with that? Did you have a video background or how was that? No, it was actually my uncle. Um, I, I did. I was passionate about film and I was always trying to do videos like I did it as a kid, like make little movies. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, my uncle ran real video productions first um, and he had shut it down. He basically handed it off to me, gave me some camera gear, gave me the opportunity, which again, like the gift to create. Um, I go back to that. You know, I'm grateful for him to just give me that opportunity and it allowed me to hustle. And I hustled around and made videos and I got, it was fun for me. I loved the creative aspect of it. I love working with people, you know, to like turn their ideas into videos. And yeah, um, I, you know, I, I didn't really have a video background. You're right. So it goes, it's not just resilience. It's like the willingness to figure whatever out too. problem solving. Um, so I think you put yourself, you back yourself into a corner and you say, I'm doing this and then you do it. Well, you I mean you don't have a choice, right? And so it's just like you did with the truck. You had to take a you had to take a chance that that thing would run, and if you didn't, you would have to get a tow truck to come and get it, and you're going to be, you know. But you took the chance, and could you keep driving the truck after that, or did you have to get the engine repaired? No, yeah, I drove it all the way home. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea how we made it home, but it worked. Um, you know, it cooled off. We put oil in it, and uh, we got it home. So, That's a, I mean, here's another interesting mental model that comes out of this is um, the, um, the this this backing myself into a corner thing. Um, it, it means attaching your business to your identity. So I'm the coffee truck guy. I'm the video guy. I'm the private markets guy. Um, you become that guy because you make your company your everything. It becomes who you are. So the worst thing that could happen is the destruction of the self uh, to your brain meaning you'll do anything to keep your business alive. And that's also what I see amazing entrepreneurs do. Not to say I'm the most amazing one, but, you know, I, I don't live myself no, that's, any hours. That's true. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's not about getting knocked down. It's about getting up. And I know when exactly. we did Click Software, you know, this little company from Israel, the market turned sideways and we were scheduled to do an IPO in NASDAQ and we did it. You know, we did analysis to look at at what happened to companies that didn't do it and they most of them went out of business so we said you know there's not really a choice we need to move forward because this thing could you know get worse before it gets better and we did it and it was a very successful ipo uh for the time and uh but that's what it's all about it's always about going out and you know having the faith and remember scott mcneely the founder of one of the founders of sun microsystem told me 
always go to areas you fear the most because you're going to learn the most. And, and, you know, the entrepreneurs, you know, they're willing to take risks in all kinds of situation because they know they're smart enough or believe they're smart enough to be able to come out of it. And then that's what happens. And it kind of sifts out who isn't smart, doesn't keep winning. Right. Yeah. Um, so my lead investor is as an amazing model for this. Um, and so I kind of look at that as like locus of control, right? How much do you believe in your ability to shape your reality, to shape what happens next? And like every entrepreneur needs that, right? The confidence and that that locus that, okay, I can figure it out no matter what. I can pursue this idea relentlessly because, you know, I'll be the one to figure it out. And so my, my lead investor, I, I don't know exactly what he does, um, but he's like a... Uh, he built an amazing company out of uh, the Iraq war. It was, uh, you know, did lots of work in intelligence, information warfare, um, like psyops, like information extraction. Um, and he took those concepts that he learned doing that. It was like a $300 million company. Um, he took it back to angel investing in 2008, 2009, when he came back to the Bay Area. And he nailed first check, Airbnb, uh, Lyft, Wish.com, AngelList, all that stuff, like 17 unicorns, first check. And he wow. says it, it was all based on this mental model of extracting information from founders and then rating them on 32 different quantitative metrics, the type of person they are. Are they a founder that can actually go through with it to the very end? I, I'm sure resilience is one of them. I know their ability, like their belief in their own control, their confidence, but then he weights that against arrogance, right? Which can be a, a negative signal. But anyway, I don't know the exact details, but I thought it's fascinating the way he models only people. He barely looks at the products. Yeah, there's, you know, it's interesting, you know, as a clinical psychologist, you look at them, we do too at GSD, what are the characteristics that that, that founder has in order to be able to move forward? And, you know, the other thing is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe something, it comes true. And so if yeah. you don't believe, you know, and you have people sit on their hands, basically, uh, and they don't believe they don't give her ever a chance. I remember one time I had a uh, lunch with actually it was a, a late lunch with a guy who's a right hand man of Rupert Murdoch. His name is Andrew Straginski and Carl Page and Carl, if you're listening, hello. Carl Page is Larry Page's brother. Anyhow, we had um, we had our uh, late lunch, early dinner, and I was sitting next to Straginski and I said, just like you, Alex, I said, What's one thing that that uh, entrepreneurs have in common? Because he told me he looked at 3,000 and he basically mapped them, like you said, the characteristics. And I said, what's one thing that sets an entrepreneur away from everybody else? And he told me amnesia. I said, what do you mean? He said, they never dwell on the past. Never. They always talk about the day and the future. And I thought that was fascinating because, you know, all the all my billionaire friends that I have that have done um that have been successful. None of them talk about the fast. They just don't use it. They only use it as a frame of reference. So part of it, you know, it's like having boat anchors behind you and they're going to hold you back. We don't need those boat anchors. Go look forward. It ain't about the past. It's about the today and it's about the future. That's it. It's so funny. So the password to our Wi-Fi at the office here, it's burn the ships <laughs> with burn the, the reference to burning yeah, all the yeah. ships behind you, right? Um, there is yeah. no past. Right. There's only what's ahead. Um, it's anyway, and sometimes uh, people get so nobody hacked my wife. I might have to take that off now. <laughs> <laughs> so you went down through and, um, you know, you, you've gone down through and you created Velvet. What was the idea behind Velvet? Tell us a little bit about where Velvet is today. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said, Andrew and I met in college, uh, where, where many founders first find each other. Um, and he pitched me Tinder for hedge funds. So what we were looking at, I think with that problem is the access problem in private markets. And we didn't know, you know, the gravity of what this is when we started, um, but I learned about it really quickly. It's not connected. Um, and it's fragmented and there's various players, various information, all in different places. Um, and it's very club-like, right? It's cocktail hours, guys hanging out, introductions, referrals, even Mark Andreessen will say, it's high signal to actually a founder to get intro to me. Because what that means is he was able to network through all the mess. It's the ultimate filter. Uh, he was able to get to me. So getting to me is a signal in a way, right? And a lot of venture investors think this way. Um, so it, same problem in the hedge fund world, right? There's tons of upcoming traders all the time. And that was the first problem we tried to solve. We really moved into venture and private equity, um, that world kind of in a natural organic way. Um, there was a lot of demand there, venture funds, especially unique ones with differentiated strategies um, were difficult to find and uh, emerging managers were popping up all over, especially in 2021, which is where we were really emerging as tech. So we went out, what, it, uh, what that Tinder for hedge funds idea turned into was um, a marketplace. Um, so you can imagine a sort of angel list, but for institutionally ready funds, uh, fund managers would come to us as a signal to raise capital online. Here's an automated way for me to build relationships with LPs and connect. Mm -hmm. And we love this idea of connection um, in, in, a, in one of the most fragmented markets, I'd say. And um, then LPs would come to us to source the top performing venture capital funds. Because what we do is we'd invest all of our resources into getting the best funds, meaning doing all of the homework. Um, we built an institutional grade diligence process based on the ILPA standards. And we'd filter out 80% of the funds that we came into contact with out. So we, over the course of the business, we vetted about 500 or so funds, um, the GPs, their strategies, and they'd give us all their data, we realized, um, to do this as if we were an LP. And then we'd essentially underwrite them, not literally, but um, Andrew and I became the youngest owners of a broker dealer in history. Um, we used that because we knew there was a ton of value in transactions. And GPs were willing to pay us a transactional fee. And you if we could still have them. your broker dealer, yeah. Still have the broker dealer, yeah. Um, in fact, our transactional business has really been taking off even the last three months, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's tons of value in connecting market participants and then, of course, attracting capital to the right people who are doing the right things with it. Um, and so to be clear, we were raising capital for, for funds online on an online marketplace. And LPs were coming to us to source the best performing funds, have all their data in advance, streamline their due diligence process. Um, so those are like, there's two things we're solving there, right? There's the access problem, there's the information problem. Um, there's very few standards of information in the private market. Every company is different. Every venture fund is different. Um, it's very difficult to find out who to trust. That's why it's so referral based. So the third big problem is the trust issue. Um, Anyway, um, so have all of these been, are. Have you, been, uh, have you had problems with trust, or what happens? What? How did you understand that trust is important? Yeah, I mean, I, well, as an emerging company, I think it was hard. Like our first ten customers were a lot harder than our first hundred customers, right? But once I had Signal, I, I built this amazing brand, kind of unintentionally. So I started flying all around the world about two years ago. I went to all the conferences, and 
if I'm good at one thing, it's making friends. I like making friends, learning about people. Um, and I use that. I got into a ton of the family office parties. I got into a lot of these conferences and these closed rooms that maybe I shouldn't have been Does in. Does that help you, Alex, going into those meetings with those family offices? Of course, yeah, because I, I am. That's how you learn. The fastest way to learn, face to face, hearing what people think, how they look at the world. Um, so I, I actually think of that as an ultimate growth hack: is getting in front of people as fast as you can, networking, and then I built. Um, I saw everyone was throwing all these events and it was, you know, it was basically just creating all these network effects over and over. Um, so I started doing the same thing and I was able to throw about 32 LPGP events all across the U S um, and even in Asia, um, over those two years and probably had, I don't know, 3000 plus attendees across all those. We'd do like a gala in Salt Lake. We'd van people up to Sundance, do skiing, um, throw a wicked party at the office and just, we never do any agenda. It was about bringing people together, building real relationships that were authentic. And this model was kind of disruptive because most of these guys are going to all these conferences and just getting pitched all the time. Um, so it was nice to like create spaces where people could get pitched without getting pitched. They could just get to know people like in a real authentic way. Um, yeah, and built great. a huge brand. You had a nice party when we were out there. You had a nice yeah, party. Yeah, and then Gary, I can do better than that. I'm going to bring you to some some of my good stuff soon. Um, no, that sounds but, good. Um, yeah, always the invites there. But yeah, that's how you, how I built the network. So suddenly all these people started coming to me because they're like, oh, I've heard of Velvet. Um, and that was enough to close the trust gap. So to get back around to that question. Um, so I still get about 12 intros a week um, to GPs that are interesting or LPs. Um, and I build relationships with them. And I see if it's a fit. Um, and since then, we've also expanded our software suite. Um, so we build automation tools now for the investment process, as well as a marketplace to connect people. So that's kind of where it is today. We're coming up on a million in revenue now. I'm very excited. Not quite there, well, but very close. Congratulations, man. That's amazing. So we're coming up to the top of the show, Alex, and we have entrepreneurs from all over the world. You know, we've done almost 900 shows now. And... Um, and so we know we're reaching all over the world, Africa, Indonesia, Malaysia, all over. But uh, closing thoughts for those entrepreneurs and investors, and what's the best way to reach you? Um, you know what? I, I, I usually respond to LinkedIn. I'm, I'm not a, a LinkedIn uh, cold message ignorer. I love talking to people. Um, come find me at one of my events, too. We often put them all over socials, announce them. Um, and, you know, people can email me as well. I don't know if I should share my email on here or not, but happy to no, always no, respond. Just, yeah, I don't want you to get in on data because you, yeah, we have a lot of people <laughs> that are, are uh, yeah, it's scaling up quickly. You might get in on data, but the LinkedIn profile is that just under Alex Johnson? Is that the best way? It yeah, it's Alex Johnson Velvet. I should come up. I've been around for a little bit, so okay, uh, yeah, yeah. So Alex Johnson Velvet, and what's one thing you want to leave the audience with before we go? Never stop trying new things. Always Never uh, stop. Love that. Yeah. I love that, man. It's perfect. Yeah, you're a great guy. I'm really happy that I got to meet you out there. Look forward to getting together with some of your events and some of the things we have. To all my audience out there, thank you for joining one more time. GSD presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. And I'll be back to you again on Thursday with another exciting edition. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us and take care of yourselves. Thank you.